I'm Susan Barnes. I live in the Silver Spring area, and um, I'm retired. Uh, how long have you been coming to oh, spas, or this spa specifically? For I've been coming to Maisie's forever. I am Maisie Dunbar. Part of being a caregiver, sometimes you're so caught up in caring for your loved one, you forget and neglect yourself. So you must find a time to take care of yourself. I know. How important is it to take time out of your day for yourself? Oh, it's essential. Absolutely essential. And I have been in a position of being a caretaker for a couple of members of my family. So I know you're just always thinking about the other person and never ever thinking about yourself. You don't realize exactly how much of yourself you are giving. It's not until you stop and you know you do something for yourself that you realize, hey, I really did need this and it rejuvenates you and in turn you can then give more to the person that you're caring for. And welcome to the TBI Family, a bi-weekly podcast for caregivers of service members and veterans who've experienced traumatic brain injuries. This program is produced by the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, otherwise known as DIFBIC. I'm Dr. Samantha Finstad. In this episode, we discuss a program that helps caregivers get some time to themselves while ensuring their care recipient is still being cared for. We'll also talk to Danny O'Neill, who, like 25% of, quote, family caregivers, isn't related to the veteran he takes care of. Before we get to those stories, though, we want to take a few minutes here at the top of the podcast and ask for your help in two ways. First, when we started this podcast, we were told that a lot of caregivers feel like no one knows what they're going through. So we see this podcast as not only a way for us to pass information along to caregivers of people who've sustained a TBI, but also for caregivers to talk to each other and share their stories, to let others know they're not alone. We understand that these stories are private and can sometimes be difficult to tell. So if you prefer, we can use a different name and even alter your voice. Now, if you're interested in talking to us and sharing your story, please send us an email at info at or by messaging us through the Facebook page, which, if you haven't done it yet, you should like us to follow. You can also send us your questions, suggestions, or comments by email or on Facebook, just like our listener Jock did, who wanted us to hurry up with making our transcripts available. By the way, you'll be able to find those transcripts shortly on our website, divvic.deco.mil. The other way you can help us get the word out is by subscribing to and reviewing the podcast on iTunes or the app you use to listen to us. Doing so helps the podcast rise in app searches, which, in turn, helps other people who could use the podcast find it more easily. We think we're doing good stuff here, and because of that, we'd like to make sure that anyone who needs this information can find it. But that's enough of that. Let's get on with the rest of the podcast. When taking care of someone else, you don't want to minimize taking care of yourself. And making time for yourself can be hard, but it's critical whether it's a few minutes to run errands, get a cup of coffee with a friend, or enjoy a relaxing spa break, like our friends at the top of the podcast, or maybe even a weekend visit to family or friends. 
Getting a break can make it easier to take on your toughest challenges. For caregivers of service members and veterans who've sustained a TBI, that break can be the thing that prevents burnout and allows caregivers to continue functioning at their peak. In some cases, it can even be the key to preventing a care recipient from being institutionalized. The Department of Veterans Affairs can help caregivers get that break they sorely need. We spoke with Dana Cooper. I'm a registered nurse by background, and currently I am the director of home and community-based care programs here in the Department of Veterans Affairs in Central Office, D.C. Who told us about the VA's respite program for caregivers? The respite program in, in the Department of Veterans Affairs is a program that provides respite, which is just a temporary relief for caregivers to have a break from their caregiving responsibilities for veterans um, that they're caring for 24 hours a day. Um, We provide that care either in an institutional setting, such as our community living centers or community nursing home settings, or we can also provide that care in their home, um, in an adult day care center, um, or a setting of their choice. Um, Our preferred setting is whatever the the veteran wants, so we we can provide that a lot of times in their home. Um, Veterans can receive up to 30 days uh, of respite care in a calendar year. Um, If they need more care than that, then we often can do that for them, just depending on what their needs are and what the caregiver's needs are. So a lot of times respite is seen as a babysitting service, and it's really not a babysitting service. It's a service that is provided to to give the caregiver some time away. And the service is a service for the veteran. So we want to make that care plan you know, specific to the veteran. So it's not, it's not a babysitting service. So we can have something for the veteran to do. So, you know, if it's, you know, going and taking the veteran um, to, to a movie, or if it's taking the veteran and doing something with the veteran that is of interest to the veteran, then that's what we want to do. Um, so it's, a service for the veteran that allows the caregiver to do something for themselves and really give them the opportunity to have a break from each other. Because believe it or not, the veteran gets tired of the caregiver too. And so we need to have that break in service that's a respite for not only the caregiver, but for the veteran, and that they each have an opportunity so that they can come back together and that the the care that's being provided from the caregiver to the veteran, and the veteran is happier too. It's not a service that's frowned upon. It's not a matter of saying that the caregiver's weak. It's a service that gives both people a break. So who qualifies for the program? Any veteran who is enrolled in healthcare with the VA is entitled to care. It's part of their basic medical benefits package. Unfortunately for us, it's one of our most underutilized services, and we try to promote this service because we realize our caregivers are essential to being able to keep veterans at home um, because we want to prevent institutional care for them. So um, last year alone, we served just under 17,000 unique veterans and their caregivers, um, and we realized that um, that service is, is something that we need to promote and do more of. There was someone talking about a way that is either in place or is going to be in place to be able to pay people who are battle buddies or people from your community or your church to help out. Is this part of that same program? Yes, it absolutely is. Our veteran-directed home and community-based program um, is available at some facilities already. Um, Our goal is to have that at every single facility. Right now it's available at about 63 different medical centers 
And our goal is to roll that out over the next three years to every single veteran, uh, VA medical center. And what that allows is, is veterans to actually uh, purchase uh, their own care through either caregivers uh, um, of their family, churches, or communities, um, including battle buddies or, or the like, that they're most comfortable in providing their care. Um, and that, uh, that type of care works really well, especially for respite. Our goal is to individualize that respite to the caregiver needs. So, uh, so we're not just giving them, you know, somebody who doesn't meet their needs. So if we have a younger veteran, for instance, our TBI veterans who, who really need somebody to, you know, go running with them, for instance, you know, um, we try to match a caregiver. Um, sometimes they're battle buddies that can actually go out and, and do things that are active with them as opposed to just providing them somebody who's going to sit and watch them for instance. So we try to individualize each veteran's care plan to their actual needs. How important would you say respite is to the family caregiver and their mental health? Oh my goodness. In caring for for someone, um, to do that nonstop is burdensome. Um, to care for um, a veteran and, and your children and someone else and never get a break um, it will, it will drive you crazy. And so people need a break. They need to be able to take care of themselves. They need to be able to take care of their own health. And if you're not healthy, then you're not healthy enough to be a caregiver. And once you lose the ability to care give, um, and then that you know, leads to the long-term effects, such as, you know, needing a long-term care placement option. And, you know, we don't want our veterans in an institution. The respite is so important, even if it's just two hours a couple days uh, a couple days a week or a couple times a month um, to go get your hair done or go get uh, lunch with some friends. It's just enough to get you away so that you can have some time from your caregiving responsibilities and just you know take a break. What's the one thing that you want them to take away from this this discussion? The one thing I would really encourage people is it's okay to ask for help. Um, it's okay to say you need a break. Um, it's okay to say I'm a caregiver, to acknowledge that you're a caregiver, and to say um, I need a break. A lot of times people don't even acknowledge that they're a caregiver um, because you just assume that's your responsibility. And it's okay to say I've had enough and that I need to walk away. And it doesn't mean you're any less of a caregiver because you do that. In fact, it's it's taking responsibility for your own mental health and your own um, self-being because everybody needs that time. So I encourage people to ask for that help because it's available and it's available, you know, as much as you need, especially for our, for our post 9-11, our TBI, and our spinal cord injury patients, um, those are the ones that are really difficult to, to manage. And if we don't take care of our caregivers, then we're doing our veterans a disservice. So I, I really want them to, to be able to acknowledge that it's okay to ask for help because it's available and that's what the program's there for. If you are interested in taking part in the VA Caregiver Respite Program, contact your VA social worker or case manager who can begin the process. You can also find out more information about the Respite Program at va.gov. We'll put a link to the Respite Program's page in the description of this episode. By the way, 
If your veteran doesn't have a case manager or social worker, we'd like to remind you what Dr. Joel Skolton, the National Director of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation of the Veterans Health Administration, told us in our first podcast. A good case manager is worth their weight in gold. They're trained to kind of interact with families and start to recognize when there can be um, uh, evidence of increased stress on either the individual or the family and the caregiver. And so they can, by being aware of that, they can also start to intervene and kind of pull the team together to make sure that there's adequate support, not only for that individual, but for the caregiver as well. So you should make sure to contact your local VA to get that extra help. The continued push by government agencies and nonprofits to find new ways to assist military family caregivers has led to both innovative programs and a newfound understanding of the role of the caregiver in the full medical landscape of our nation's wounded warriors. One group that hasn't quite seen the same amount of recognition are those caregivers who are not, in the genetic sense, family. Yet, according to a 2014 study by the Rand Corporation and the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, almost a quarter of the nation's 5.5 million military caregivers are actually friend caregivers. Neighbors, friends, or former battle buddies who volunteer their time to help service members deal with their injuries or the transition from the military to civilian life. One of those people is Danny O'Neill. On September 11, 2001, the then 19-year-old O'Neill was working in Livermore, California, on a road construction crew. After hearing about the attack on the World Trade Center, he quit his job that day and enlisted in the United States Army. After leaving the service in 2008, having sustained his own TBI that continues to actually affect his memory, O'Neill began taking on caregiving roles with some of his fellow veterans. On a recent call, he told us why he decided to do it. Because of the last decade and a half of of war, I have accumulated a huge base of friends who have had significant and serious injuries um, and, you know, and mental health issues coming back from from war. So that led me to realizing that my, my job wasn't, my duty wasn't done just because I'd put down my weapon and took off my, my armor. I still had a whole lot of work ahead of me. We often find that family members can be slow to identify themselves as caregivers, which means sometimes they miss out on some of the help that's available to them. Do you think it's harder or easier to identify as a caregiver when you've chosen the title rather than it having been something that's thrust upon you to an extent? Yeah, I never think of my, like even now I don't it's hard for me to I guess identify as a caregiver only because you know, I forget stuff. I have traumatic brain injury too, so I can't I'm I'm not that helpful in some areas, in other areas I am. And like you said, you mentioned the resources, those things I am good at because I can point them in the right direction and say, hey, listen, this is what's out there for us, and there's probably other ones that I don't know about, but this is a, a good start. And um, they listen to me because I have the same experiences as, as them. So that's a, something that definitely helps me. When, when you get injured, you feel like you don't really want other people to help you because you have these injuries. You feel like you're still self-empowered, but you know that there's deficiencies. My buddy lost both of his legs. He's and an adult, but now his mom, you know, has been taking care of him for the last decade. So how does, it's hard for him to, you know, be a man and still have his mom take care of him and make his lunch for him. He doesn't, so there's, um, 
animosity sometimes or it creates problems uh, in that relationship. With me, it doesn't because there's a, a brotherhood that, that we have that's um, – I'm here to help and nothing more. I, I'm, you know, I just want what's best for, for my brother because they are, they, they are family to me even though I'm not a family member by blood per se. What do you think people should know about friend caregivers like yourself? Well, there's a ton of us out there uh, that aren't really recognized as, you know, doing a job or, you know, a task that's – we really are saving the, the government money by helping, you know, because a lot of these people would be in institutions or would be, you know, they would need other care. Have you experienced challenges as a friend caregiver that you don't think you'd have experienced as a family caregiver? Yeah, so, uh, okay, well, for example, I had my soldier in Iraq, and uh, – Recently, he was going through some significant issues. He's had a lot of um, suicide in our uh, unit as of this last year. It's been decimated. Uh, our company commander was on the cover of Army Times in January for committing suicide. So he was having issues, and he tried to talk to one of his providers, but he didn't really know how to get across what was kind of going on in his mind. And I think he was ashamed about how he was feeling because that's what happens. And then all of a sudden, I got a call uh from one of, from his um, primary care uh, physician. And essentially, she'd asked me, you know, was he having any issues? And I said, well, obviously, because he gave you my number because he didn't want to talk to you. And she said, well, I can't talk to you about his his information. And I said, well, I have the information that you need. You you know whatever you have written down in your notes that he's told you, but the information that he hasn't told you is what I have. She couldn't talk to me about any of his information. And any time I've ever had to call a provider and say, hey, listen, I'm – the battle buddy of so-and-so, and they just, you know, that, they laugh it off. I'm not a blood relative or a spouse, and for most of them, that's all that matters. But I can tell you their entire Social Security number. I can tell you where they were born. I can tell you their family members. I can tell you, you know, um, what their life is like and how they're struggling and what their coping mechanisms are, but they won't, they won't talk to me, which is fine as long as I can help in some way. In the end, it should be a two-way street with communication because that's our biggest hurdle is the communication between those who are helping the veteran and those who are providing services. What advice would you give others in your position? You don't have to be a, a military combat veteran to be helping. You know, if it's your neighbor who just happens to know that you've been struggling, you, you need to know that there are resources out there who can provide support. There's going to be hurdles, but there's people out there and groups and blogs and research that you can do to help make your life easier. And there's tons of people who are willing to help, even in the local community. I guarantee it. Danny O'Neill is finishing up his final class for a degree in human services. He wants to continue to use his education to find new ways to get veterans the help they need. O'Neill is also a Dole Caregiver Fellow, representing California. If you are a military caregiver in need of support, or you would like to learn more about the Elizabeth Dole Foundation's Hidden Heroes campaign, please go to hiddenheroes.org. We should add that DivBig realized a few years ago that some veterans who sustained a TBI might need a bit more help managing appointments, medicines, and such, so we began to allow identified caregivers, whether they were a family member or friend, to become clients on their care recipient's behalf in our recovery support program. So if you're a caregiver of a service member or veteran who sustained a TBI, 
you can find out more about the TBI Recovery Support Program on the DivBig website, divbic.deco.mil. And that's our show. Again, if you have any questions about the podcast, about DivBig products or programs, or are interested in telling us your story, please feel free to email us at info at You can also find a link to that email in the description of this podcast. Now, on the next episode, we'll talk about cognitive rehabilitation, which can help some folks who've experienced a TBI overcome or lessen cognitive problems related to the injury. The TBI Family is produced and edited by Terry Welch and is hosted by me, Dr. Samantha Finstad. It's a product of the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, commanded by Army Colonel Jeffrey Grammer, and the Defense Centers of Excellence for Psychological Health and Traumatic Brain Injury, commanded by Navy Captain Mike Colston. Thanks this week to the Hidden Heroes Campaign, the Department of Veterans Affairs, and the Elizabeth Dole Foundation's Laurel Roadwald for introducing us to Danny. We'd also like to give a special shout-out to Kathleen Taylor and the public affairs team at our parent organization, the Defense Centers of Excellence for Psychological Health and Traumatic Brain Injury, for their support. Thanks as well to the BUMED Visual Information Team at Walter Reed, who helps us record, well, me. And thank you to you for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>